This is Mission.org. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at The Mission. In this episode, we talk to Jolie Erden, who's the Vice President of Analyst Relations at Box. This was a really interesting episode where Lauren and I sat down with Jolie to talk about how to market to analysts and how she got to be in the magic quadrant top right at Box. In this episode, we deep dive into the granular details of how she built such an impressive analyst relations program at Box and really how that helped their marketing team grow to new heights. Also, Lauren and Jolie got some serious catch-up time on what it was like telling some stories about early days of Box. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Welcome to Marketing Trends. Today, we have an incredible guest. First of all, we'll introduce ourselves. My name is Lauren Vaccarello. I am one of the co-hosts of Marketing Trends. And with me, we have... Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at The Mission. We are in studio in Palo Alto on either sides of the table, both sides of the table. I make that joke way too much. <laughs> um, and today, I can't tell everyone how excited I am for the guest that we have. We have a Jolie, who is the Vice President of Analyst Relations at Fox. I've been in marketing for more years than I care to admit, and Jolie has to be one of the best analyst relations professionals I have ever, ever met and had the privilege of working with. So Jolie, we are so happy to have you here today. Thank you for having me, Lauren. I'm so excited to be here too. Let's Any just say, chance to see you is a awesome opportunity. I feel the same way about you. Let's just say they call Jolie the queen of the quadrant for a reason. And that's what we're going to get into today in this episode. Many things about analyst relations, category creation, some like little general marketing tips and tidbits and how she got started in her career. So let's get into it. I think what'll be good for, for all of our listeners is, Jolie, what... What is what is AR? What's analyst relations? Can you just give everyone the quick primer? Sure. Analyst relations is working with industry analysts from Gartner, Forrester, IDC, likes of whom that advise CIOs and IT directors on their major purchases and how they should be thinking about their IT architectures. And then, Ian, I know you also host our IT Visionaries podcast. So you spend a ton of time with some of the most influential CIOs in the world. What do they think about Gartner, Forrester, IDC, the whole AR space? Yeah, I mean, this is this is the, I mean, proving ground, right? Like this is the the thing that they look to all the time for guidance, for insights, for industry analysis. On a previous episode of Marketing Trends, we talked to Matt about this idea that there was something that Gartner hadn't created that he was like, man, this really needs to be out there. So it's so much ingrained in the CIO culture and the IT culture that it's the thing you look to first, right? It is. I remember years and years ago when I was at Salesforce and we were looking at making a purchase for a marketing software. And one of the questions that Mark Benioff had asked was, let me see the quadrant where who is the leader in the magic quadrant, I'm only willing to talk to number one or number two. And just that impact. And I think as a much earlier in my my marketing career at that moment, I went, I need to pay better attention to what this is because all of the work and research that I've done on this, the only thing that matters to the CEO is, so just, is there a, is there a magic quadrant on this? Who's number one and number two? Who's Who's the visionary? Who's the leader? Okay, that's the only thing I care about. It's like, okay, got it. We need to care about this. And as a marketer, if you're selling to IT, or even if you think about things like serious decisions for for marketers, or even IDC for selling to marketers, how much we look towards those analysts for what matters, what's the technology we should purchase, how is the industry thinking and evolving? So there is this huge art and science around working with with analysts and 
thankfully, we have Jolie here to tell us all about how it's done. Let's talk about that. So Jolie, how you've been in AR for 15, 20 years. It can't be 20. You're not that old. Let's just say 15. It's 15. Uh, she's been doing this since she was also 15. And <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> Thank you. As a mid- middle schooler doing analyst relations, how did you manage? <laughs> How did how did you get into AR? I got into AR through product marketing. I actually started my software career in early 2000-ish, right before the dot-com bust. So I got into it um, right at the peak of the dot-com boom, I would say, and I joined some microsystems as a product manager. So initially doing a lot of inbound product management and then eventually moved to product marketing, more on the outbound messaging, storytelling, kind of market fit for new applications of technologies. So I was kind of focusing in that area um, and ran competitive intelligence as well. And eventually when I got to Oracle after some microsystems, Epiphany, and then to Oracle, that was when I made the transition from product marketing to analyst relations. It's, it's really interesting. You hit some of the really most famous names in Valley history. I mean, Epiphany, Sun Microsystems, and Oracle. It is the iconic yeah. trio of pre.com, yeah. where, where software, where the Valley came from. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you hit, oh, them yeah. Right, you hit them right at the right time, right? Right time or the wrong time. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of fun to see this kind of wave happening in Silicon Valley right now, isn't it? I mean, it's like, I, I feel like that kind of energy that we had back in those early days of when we saw the server sort of computing kind of coming to the front and the PC computing era really taking off with Microsoft and IBM and, and Sun. And now we're kind of in this really exciting, exciting stage of cloud computing and sort of shared economy and just all these sort of new concepts and business models arising because of technology. And every company is is becoming a technology company, right? And marketing has become so much more incredibly data-driven and technology-driven today than I've ever seen in my 20-plus years in marketing. So it's a really exciting time to be here. You know, I, this is something with analyst relations that I had no idea about and kind of similar to what we were talking with Matt Trafiro about, like marketing to PR, like marketing to journalists, like essentially how are you pitching journalists? How do you market to analysts? Like how is that different than marketing to a customer? Like, or is, or is it similar? I mean, I, I really have no idea. In a way, I feel like the analyst relations program is a lot like ABM, <laughs> account-based marketing. Yeah, because account-based marketing is really about understanding that account, that company at holistically and understanding the specific buyers within that organization that you need to get to and then kind of augmenting contacts within that organization. And then kind of uh, really tailoring your message to hit the pain points of that particular buyer persona, right? It's the same thing in analyst relations. So instead of going for the masses, I'm going for very specific high value individuals that can really influence the market that my company is participating in and really understanding what their needs are, how they want to be communicated to, what they're wrestling with that we can sort of help with. So the first thing is finding that individual and then finding points of common ground that we can build on and then laying those building blocks over time so that we start to kind of change their perception. And it's a two-way street because I would say we're, we're trying to influence their perception, but they're also influencing the company as well. And they can potentially influence our roadmap and the the acquisition decisions or whatever, you know, potentially big decisions for the company on where we're going to go. Really, the nice thing is analyst relations when done right is sort of leveraging the best practices that you see in marketing and really highly individualized, tailored message in a cadence that makes sense. And then bringing your product and your strength with what's happening in the market and sort of marrying all of these dynamics together. Having known Jolie for a while, one of my favorite things about her that I know she's never going to talk about is 
this whole idea of category creation and shaping categories. And we've talked to some other guests recently about category creation, about shaping categories. But when I think about this, I think about so much of the power of, of AR. And Jolie, I know you've helped shape two different categories. Can you tell us about this? How do you do it? What are they? And why does this matter for a company? So first, let's talk about why it's important for the company. I mean, it's incredibly important for the company because market category creation is how you it's it's really the growth strategy for the company. It's where you can get the, you know, 10x valuation. You can be doing the same sort of base level things, but it changes your valuation, it changes the way your how you can price a premium over your product, but being able to kind of create your own sort of market category in which you are so differentiated, no one else can really do what you do and do it as well as you can. And being able to get that story out there super clearly down to the who you're selling to, why are they buying you, what are the pain points that you're addressing, it's incredibly important. Man, that's so we talked with Christopher Lockhead in a previous episode about category creation, who wrote, you know, play bigger and niche down and all that stuff, and is always talks about category kings and queens as one of the thought leaders of that. But one of the things that I forgot to ask him about was the idea of the setting pricing. Like that is so critical as when you become the category queen, you now have an advantage of setting the price in which is the most beneficial for, you know, obviously your company and your customers, which is a huge disadvantage to your competitors. Yes. And what I think is really interesting is whenever CEOs or companies say, well, I need to drive revenue. I need a demand gen leader. I need to think about how demand gen is going to drive performance. Just even based on what Jolie is talking about, yes, a lot of demand gen is going to get you over the hill in front of you. You're going to get leads. You're going to work with sales to drive that immediate immediate revenue. But if done well, what a great AR program is going to do will make your valuation bigger, get a better stock price. You'll be able to increase pricing. And if you can end up controlling the pricing of your product and the pricing in your in your industry that's going to pay dividends far beyond what you know increasing leads by 20% is yeah i mean it also warms up the conversation too Absolutely. right so it's both air cover and sort of clarity of your purpose so now you need all of these things to come together, right? Yes. Like frankly, you need the business strategy, you need a good product, you need um, you need to be able to build up loyal customers that can speak on your behalf. You need a strong demand gem program that has all of the the vehicles covered and is targeting the right personas. But I think a lot of startups, in my experience, I don't know about you, Lauren, but my experience is that most startups they will typically won't think about analyst relations until they're ready to go public. Yes. And when they're ready to go public and they are starting to work on the the paperwork for their S1 and they're building those controls in place and and more importantly, they're looking for total market opportunity or total addressable, uh, market. addressable market for their S1. That's when they start to think about, oh, I think I need an AR person. Maybe previously they had their PR person or their PR agency deal with the analysts and treated them much like the the press community. And I think that's really that's a really missed opportunity for them because what have they done at that point? Because you, what you can do is kind of get started on early. At least give it a thought. Maybe give a, a little bit of a thought and strategy around it and perhaps a little bit of a headcount and a little bit of program dollars. And that could really pay dividends when you are ready to go public because at that point, the story that you're telling the, the market that you think you are disrupting and how you tell that story to your investors is going to be so much more clear. You know, so, and for those, for our listeners that that don't know what the magic quadrant is or like why this matters, I'll just kind of paint, I mean, first of all, it, yeah, obviously you can Google it, but I'll paint a quick picture. So it's literally a chart with four boxes, like a quadrant chart, x-axis and y-axis, where on one side, you have the ability to execute, and on the other side, you have completeness of vision. Um, and so there's four groups. There's bottom left-hand corner is niche players, top left-hand corner is challengers, bottom right-hand corner is visionaries, and the top right-hand corner is leaders. Box was named in July of 2018 in the top right. 
tell us like how that came to be and just walk us through like what this process was for you all. You know, you don't need to share trade secrets, but things that could illuminate our marketing audience of like why this matters and then what is the windfall that comes from this happening? Like this press release gets dropped, you know, July 11th to 2018. Like what happens after that? Is that like Legion, you know, ramps up in a huge way because people are like, oh, we want the best product or what is that thing? It's the classic Ian phase on 50 questions in one. But yeah, could you just walk through that process of what was the lead up to this and, and kind of tell that story? Yeah. Going back to your original question, <laughs> Lauren, which I never did answer. So when I first joined Box, I joined Box back in 2011. And I got hired when Box was about under 150 employees. And we were probably at that point about a 20 million run rate company. So we were really small to have a dedicated AR person. But I think Aaron Levy, who's our CEO, I think his, he had this, he didn't know much about analyst relations, let's just face it. (laughs) Most (laughs) 26-year-old CEOs are not super educated about the ins and outs of AR. But what he did have was the foresight and a conviction deeply that this community that was very important for market category creation. And he he really wanted to be able to kind of create a category where we weren't playing in the sandbox that was created by Microsoft, which was our most likely alternative that enterprises that we're trying to sell to were using at the time. SharePoint specifically. And he really felt that there was a unique opportunity that Box had given all of these confluence of trends that were happening around cloud computing, the mobile devices wide use coming into the enterprise, this movement around BYOD, bringing your devices to work and organizations sort of supplementing your, your own personal device for work purposes. All of these things were leading to this whole new category for the way you managed manage your everyday work content, but having it be very accessible across multiple devices that you work in a very seamless fashion. So that was why I was hired in 2011. It probably took us, I think about 2013 was when I when we first had the definitional note from Gartner on what they thought this market was around what they called EFSS, Enterprise Files Synchronization and Sharing. Horrible name, I know. Gartner is not the best at naming markets, let me tell you. (laughs) So really quick, so what did you do in your like day-to-day? First of all, like where did you, did you roll up under marketing? I did. I was reporting to our head of marketing at that time. And then was that, like what was your day-to-day, you know, like early startup world, 150 employees, that's crazy early, right? Or am I crazy? Oh, it's crazy early. I mean, so imagine... Palo Alto, warehouse, all open desks, and me sitting there dialing for dollars. Yeah. <laughs> in the early days, my jobs felt very much like an inside sales rep. <laughs> yeah. As in, I was, um, I was doing a lot of calling in and arranging phone discussions with many different analysts that covered multiple different spaces to try to figure out who we wanted to. So this is what we call in the business vetting. So it's kind of like a you have like a greater universe that you're going after and then you are sort of screening them. And then there's probably it's probably like a funnel. Yes. It's kind of like a funnel. So you you drive in a number of potential candidates through and then through the screening process, you end up with a smaller number that you're going to really target and invest in for the coming year. When you say invest, do you mean like invest, invest time in time? And yeah. Time and money. You can't run an analyst relations program in zero dollars. Yeah. No. I mean, at you, a minimum, you, you have headcount is what you're saying. Like beyond headcount, there needs to be some type of- uh, You need some program dollars. Some gift cards. What are we talking about? Some like <laughs> no, foot massage? You, no, like... you, you pay for- Most of the analyst firms still have a pretty traditional- annual subscription model. Mm. So they sell, so Gartner, Forrester, IDC, they all have research streams that they'll sell you. And then along with the research reports that you get access to, you have, you get access to the analysts. Time by phone. Oh, So that's what you buy. So if you're a startup Box's size, and this was actually pretty forward thinking for Box because most $20 million round rate startups are not gonna spend 
I think that first year we probably spent about 70K-ish on buying these subscriptions across yeah. these those three firms. We bought one seat with Gartner, one seat with Forrester, and one seat with IDC. And that's how we got started. How much money were you allocating for like sending Sherry's berries and... Uh... Not much of that. You know, there is some... You know, there is some whining and dining in terms of when you get a chance to meet them in person at their events, typically, because they're not going to come and visit you, but maybe you go to their events and you have a want to sit down one on one with them and maybe you're lucky enough to score a dinner with them. That's all good. But there's not a whole lot of uh, most analysts, you know, Gartner analysts, I don't know if you guys know this, but Gartner analysts are strictly forbidden from trading your company stock if they're covering you. There's strict sense, yeah. there's strict rules around the gift that they can accept from vendors. So there's not a whole lot of like these quid pro quo. Yeah, that that like a marketing promotion type stuff like I mean there's a little bit, you know, maybe socks. I mean, <laughs> I don't know, t-shirts, t-shirts are very popular in the beginning. But yeah, no, th this is great. I mean, like this, that's so interesting to me because like, how do you market to the people that you can't win over with other means, right? Like I, like you have to stand on like the quality of your product and all that stuff, right? I mean. Absolutely. Quality of the product, the relationship. And I love what you said earlier about it's not just about what you can get them to believe, but it's about how they can also influence you and how you build that relationship where they theoretically are talking to dozens and dozens of your potential buyers all the time. What insights can they bring back to you and how can you help shape product and help make sure that you are building the best possible product that's delivering the best possible value that then you can go back and use that to influence analysts. Yeah, that comes a little bit later. In the beginning, you know, you may not get that input right away mm -hmm. just because there's like if they haven't because initially it's it's a lot more like cold calling, yeah. you know, because yeah, it sounds like outbound yeah. sales. <laughs> and you're trying like. to find a hook. Mm -hmm. I mean, if if you're you know, if you're working for a company and you're building up an AR program for a market that does not yet have a name and there is no like a known sort of way to describe that market or the buyers for that market, then what you're looking for is a set of analysts that you that share a similar philosophy, similar worldview that you can align with. And then you are then going to build on that foundation and share two-way information exchange over time and then um, have that lead to some kind of a research. Like in the beginning and then 2011, we were lucky enough to be in the Gartner Cool Vendors, which is a, a branded research by Gartner. Literally called Cool Vendors? It's called Cool Vendors. I and like they, it's like Cool they, Runnings. Yeah, they identify cool vendors in the different market in different markets. So I think in this one was, since we didn't have a market category at the time, I think they included us in the content management, enterprise content management space, which is a, a space that's been around forever. So we were lucky enough to be named a cool vendors. That's a pretty big honor in itself. We yeah. kind of built on that. And then the second year was something else. And then I think it was the third year in 2013 that we actually got the market named and defined, then it was the following year we were in the first MQ. So this is not for the short term game. <laughs> but this is this, this is, is a long game. <laughs> truly to to borrow a phrase from Chris Laka, this is legendary stuff because you and by the way, MQ is magic magic quadrant, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. No, this and is Forrest, amazing stuff. Forrester has their own version, Forrester Wave, and let's not discount that as well. And yeah, I, yeah, IDC should. has one called Marketscape, lesser known, but Gartner is probably the most famous, and Forrester Waves are also. It's quite... because we love magic. This is why <laughs> Harry Potter is so popular. I have to say, I do love magic. I'm, I'm gonna. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna have like the mission's gonna create our own version of this sort of stuff. Not a not a competitor, and it's just gonna be like the Hermione Quadrant, the Ron Quadrant, <laughs> or whatever. So. 2013, you're starting to win some stuff. You get the cool vendor, the cool runnings, like Jaman. You you know you get doing great. What is the business results that you're seeing from this that you're taking back to the leadership team and being like, and you're like, hey, we're not wasting money on Jolie's salary. This is great, and like we're not wasting money on all this sort of stuff. Because I feel like that's the that would be the hard part from my perspective, from the marketing, from the marketer being like, this is long-term win stuff. And obviously Aaron had a long-term strategy this whole time, which is why he did it in the first place. But 
what does that kind of look like? Like, what does that feel like? Are you stressed? Are you freaking out? Like what, like what is the kind of, uh, you know, stasis there? So just to be clear, Gartner just happened to be the one that came the last, but the, in the first, first year and second year, we were in some other, you know, Forrester waves where we were a leader. We had the first mobile collaboration wave. We were the cool Gartner cool vendor. So I think, you know, Aaron started to see the value of analysts early on, even before the magic quadrant. But of course, the magic quadrant is the holy grail for marketers and analyst relations, particularly for startups that are, you know, if they made it into a magic quadrant, it's like almost like a seal approval, what do you call it? The Badge house, of honor. Yes, the housekeeping seal approval. Yeah, or, the good housekeeping seal yes, of approval. Um, that you matter, <laughs> that you matter. You're top vendors in the space. Only about 10 to 15 vendors ever make it into an MQ. So, you know, it's you're one of the well-known vendors, no matter where you land, particularly if you land in a leader. And usually there's only about three to five vendors on the leadership quadrant. So then, you know, at that, that point, you're the market setters of that industry. And then are you grabbing like, you know, your other pals on the on the marketing team, like, what's the campaign for this? Like, and Lauren, what did you come into this? Because I mean, at, at some point, you are coming into the story as well. We're weaving a, a t- real tale here. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a total interlock between performance marketing, product marketing, AR. I mean, we're talking a lot about AR today, but AR cannot do AR program without, you know, without sort of the go-to-market engine behind the company. But, and one of the the strongest assets that you have as a, a demand gen marketer ends up being your magic quadrant because it's not, here's a free trial, here's a white paper, here's me telling you how great I am. It's, by the way, you are clearly looking for this type of product and here's third-party validation and here is a third-party organization who spends minimum of a year researching and deciding who the best people are. And by the way, here this is. And as when someone like Jolie comes back with, oh, by the way, we are not just up in, we are not just in the the leadership quadrant. We are, I, I will never forget, there was one magic quadrant when I was working with Jolie where the bubble that represented Box was falling off the the quadrant that we were so up and away that it looked like Box was just gonna like tip over the edge and find a totally new category. And having that and having that sort of proof point and validation from all of the work that Jolie does and Analyst Relation does, working with the product org, really shaping this, working with the analyst, becomes a demand gen marketer's dream because you've done all of the hard work making this real and all we need to do is make sure the whole world knows about it. Yeah, I mean, you see this with like some of the stuff that Salesforce is doing. Uh, by the way, shout out to Pardot, our our sponsors of this great podcast, Marketing Trends. But you see, like every single time they win, like best company to work for in the Bay Area, or like all these things, immediately it goes into Twitter campaigns and all this sort of stuff. Of like, as soon as you win this stuff, it's going in. But how are you, as you know, Lorna, as you are looking at these things come in, how do you even think about? promoting this what type of campaign are you creating for this the the immediate things to do are how can this go into the existing demand gen machine we have we're already running social ads okay we need to now promote this on social we're running abm campaigns and we're running targeted advertising to top companies and top prospects and top customers okay this now has to get filtered in and this has to get cycled in and can we do a webinar with a Gartner analyst as a follow-up for this? So what else can we do? Because it's the sort of content marketing 101. It's not just about the report. It is what is all the other goodness we can get? Here's our blog post. Here's our press release. Here is our call down campaign that we're going to run against a list of accounts that maybe we lost to six months earlier because let's give them a call and remind them and say, hey, by the way, you went with someone else. Did you know that we are falling off the chart? So maybe you're not happy and this is how we can use this. Here's our social campaign and our acquisition campaign. Maybe we do a webinar with a Gartner analyst and here's the whole sort of full package that this win then gets incorporated into a lot of your go-to-market motions. Yeah, and if you see, if you go right now to to box.com and you look this up, you can 
download with a lead form right now you can download the full report like that's the sort of stuff where you're talking about like hey if you want to if you want to check this out like go to the website right and these are highly highly qualified leads because these are people that in box's case are looking for i'm looking for a content collaboration platform it's yeah fantastic you're looking for one i happen to have one for you it's it's either people who are super highly qualified or producers of the mission that are prepping for this episode like one of the two <laughs> same same <laughs> <laughs> you guys are cracking me up. <laughs> <laughs> we get going sometimes. Yeah. Okay, so first time MQ, what do you do at the company? What does the all hands look like? What's the what's the moment where this is like a big deal? I think the first time we're on the MQ and we were lucky enough to be the first time in the MQ for what is now called content collaboration platforms, but back then it was called EFSS. And we were off the get-go a leader, which is kind of unusual because most time, you know, most of the time when you're in an MQ, you're typically and you're, you know, in a start, you know, you're more of a startup. You're not one of the big, big, big software companies like Microsoft, SAP, Oracle, IBM, those guys. You expect to get in not as a leader off the get-go, but because we spent the time to build the market definition for what we thought this market was, and we were kind of build and the and we helped the sort of build that sort of sandbox definition. We were lucky enough to like put in some of the differentiation criteria that was very unique to Box back then. And I want to interrupt for one, Jolie, for one second, because it's the thing that she'll, she won't say is that when, when you get started, ending up in a leadership position is unheard of. And this is why Jolie is the queen of the quadrants and <laughs> how it's you don't end up as a leader. But if you listen to her, here's all the prep work that you do. This is not we are just going to go in and make a run for it. Here is all of the work that leads up to it. And when you have um, an AR professional with that level of skill and understands the market and the analyst and the product, you end up showing up exceptionally well very, very quickly. Yeah, the trick is to define, it's always better if you can define a market that does not yet exist. And you're able to kind of create that together with the analysts from what the analysts could observe. Now, you can't also have a magic quadrant that has one company in it. You need to have, you need to have a market participants where you've got a number of vendors that are competing in that space for the same problems that they're looking to solve. And they are either selling to the same buyers or similar sort of, they're similar buyer profiles. So that was the case with with Box, with EFSS. So when you do that, then you have a much better chance of getting into the leader squadron because like you're really sort of shaping what that buyer requirements look like. But when you're going into a existing well-known market evaluation for an MQ, that's much more difficult because at that point, you're trying to evolve an existing market and try change the criteria, buying criteria for that market, rather than creating it from new. And I know we talked about sort of the first win. And what was the, and Aaron believed in AR early on, which is absolutely freaking amazing, and how visionary he is in thinking about why this is important long-term. What happened after the first, after the first win? And then can you tell us about the company's perception of analyst relations and not just how we... AR can be used from a demand gen perspective, but what are, how does AR fit into the rest of the organization? I've seen that evolve so much over the past seven and a half years I've been at Box, Lauren. When I was first there in 2011, Box's business was primarily selling to the line of business, uh, mostly department, uh, to department leads like sales leader or VP of marketing or head of R&D. So at that time, you know, the company, I don't think, and also the company was young, let's face it. (laughs) The average age, I think back then was about 25 years old. So I don't think the company had an appreciation for the analyst relations. However, you know, in 2011, the 
Fox really invested in kind of building out our direct sales force. We moved off of being much more sort of telephone-based sales to, you know, in-person enterprise sale. So we kind of built up that business over time where today we are very much a enterprise-wide IT-driven sales motion. And, And over time, our deal size have gotten much larger. And when your business, when your B2B business sort of um, evolves in that way where you're selling to IT leaders, you're trying to become, I mean, where you want to be the part of the IT infrastructure, you are, and you've got a big ticket deal, you know, (laughs) that you're signing every year, then the third party validation like Gartner Magic Quadrants or Forrester Waves become much, much more important. So I would say now I see the impact of AR program at Box, you know, 10x what it was just even three, four years ago, because mainly because our business has changed and who we sell to have changed. Absolutely. And I think the not underestimating the importance of the impact that AR has on big deals. And I, I remember working with you at Box and how much the the enterprise sellers loved what you were doing and the level of not just respect, but gratitude of, okay, we just landed falling off the magic quadrant. Okay, now how can we use this? And this gives us so much more credibility to go in and and fight is just something that's not to be taken for, for granted. I think for... Box is about $600 million business now and very much B2B mm-hmm. and very much IT-led sales motion and very much a sort of pervasive sort of IT service across the company. When, you're, when your business looks like that, you cannot not have an AR <laughs> influence. It's, it becomes pretty critically important because it becomes a not only a checkbox, but a validation point to justify the as part of the business justification stage for that purchase. And if I am if I'm a CMO and I am new to analyst relations, how do I know if it's working? How do I know how to measure success of my AR program? I think that's one of the trickiest part of AR for a startup is that I think because not every I mean not every startup will need AR program. There are probably other programs you might want to, because you have a limited dollars that you can spend. So you you might be better off spending those dollars in a different program. But if you are in B2B and you are in enterprise software, typically, and particularly if you IT is an important influencer or driver of that purchase, that, that buying journey, then I think AR is probably something you should absolutely consider critical or certainly something you should have when you get to a certain size. And what are the, do you have top five or whatever number of tips for starting an AR program? Like, what do I need to know? The first off is really understand your business. What is it that you do? Who do you sell to? Just all the basic stuff, Lauren. I mean, that all the marketers need to know, like who do you sell to? What what pain points are you filling? Like all of those things you need to know and be honest with yourself about where it is that you, you are today and where do you want to go? Because frankly, Box, when I joined Box, they didn't need an AR person, but they could foresee where they wanted to go. And with the enterprise DNA that they were working so hard to build into the company back then, which took a couple of years, but they knew within two to three years, they wanted to be part of the enterprise stack. They wanted to be part of this movement to bring content to the cloud. And they want it to be part of the IT fabric. So if your vision includes that kind of dynamics, so I think first is self-assessment. Where are you today and where do you want to go? And then so once you have that, then I think it's extremely important to get alignment across the company about what it is that you want to get out of the AR program. Particularly because if you are very early on in the market development lifecycle, you may not see huge payoff right away. So I think it's important to understand and really align on what do you want that program to deliver? Because, you know, if you're in a very niche market that's very early in its journey, 
and then asking to be in the MQ in year one is probably unrealistic. So that would be two to just align on goals of the program. And then three, probably you need to make the right level of, of resourcing because AR programs will both require a headcount and program dollars. Then I think probably you've got a program that's kind of running. Then I think it's you probably need a kind of a regular check-in regular check-in because what I find with startups, and I've never, (laughs) all the years that I was doing AR for Oracle, I didn't have this problem. It's really, I only saw it when I came to Box, is that when you join a startup, especially a hyper-growth startup that's growing in triple digits, your business changes so quickly and the innovation cycle is so fast that what you might do today and what you do what you're doing two years from now may significantly change. So I think just probably being very honest about always staying forward to where you are today, but really sort of building that program and aligning the program to where you are, where you want to be a couple of years from now. So kind of staying ahead of the curve. Do you have any favorite founder stories? Oh my, the <laughs> the only founder that I know well is Aaron, and I don't know that... You probably have more of those stories than I do, Lauren. <laughs> Let's face it. You have spent many more midnight oil burning with Aaron than me. We, we, we What's de- your favorite? We have, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Two ice cream sandwich night. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, um, I do have some, but I, I, I can't share. <laughs> I don't have anything I can share in this forum. Fair. I I have the how Aaron Levy helped me gain 15 pounds and none of my pants fit because we were working late. Too I know much. I was there. I know. <laughs> um, so during if, the website rebuild, during maybe. the website rebuild, <laughs> and working till 10 o'clock every night with a, a founder whose metabolism is much faster than your own, and all I ate was pizza and ice cream sandwiches. Pro tip, by the way, for people in that situation is Beta Brands makes a brand of pants called dress yoga pants where the waistband is elastic yes remember you turned me on to those they're amazing i i i still have mine i that's what i swear by when i am not exercising as you can't tell because my pants no longer had buttons It's so, way too much fun talking about AR with you, Lauren. Oh, I I learned so much about analyst relations literally every single time I talk about talk to you about and it. I learned you taught me everything about funnel mechanics. So <laughs> it goes two ways. <laughs> it's because the only way I know how to think is in funnels. Um, that funnel uh, that funnel graphic works, I think, in pretty much in every function in marketing, it, like including AR and comms. It really, really does. So I have a good Jolie story that I want, that I'm going to start to share, and then I'm going to make Jolie finish. So the most recent, the most regent quadrant win, there's something at Box called Friday Lunch, which we're going to do a future episode all about culture building and how companies can build and maintain culture and the role of marketing in it. And But as part of it at Box, we have something called Friday Lunch, and It is this great event where the CEO goes on stage. If he's in town, if he's not, another executive goes on town. Sometimes you have external speakers come in. You also have, you know, deal of the week and customer of the week. You showcase some of the great things that are happening in the company. And uh, we had a Friday lunch where we wanted to share with the entire company. Think of it as an all hands, but we refer to it as Friday lunch, where during the all hands, we wanted to highlight the fact that we were a leader in Gartner Magic Quadrant. So obviously what you do is you bring up Jolie to talk about her winning and the, uh, her leading a box to victory in, in the Magic Quadrant. Jolie, what, what happened? Oh my gosh, that was so embarrassing. So I go... This happens every year since we're now we're now in two different magic quadrants because we're now we're we have a diversified portfolio and we're both in content collaboration platforms magic quadrant and the content services platforms magic quadrant. So I go up because they ask me every year to do that to talk about why does it matter. Usually Aaron is you know he'll kind of ask a few questions and we'll do a fireside chat and then Aaron's looking at me super strangely 
So I'm looking at him like, why are you looking at me so strangely? And then I and then I see all of a sudden Robin, who's our internal comms, who puts together the Friday lunch, coming over with a crown and a scepter. And there in the behind me, there's a screen that's coming down. And then all of a sudden I see a I see a video of my daughter and my niece rapping about queen of the quadrant (laughs) and it was the most embarrassing thing ever and then they had a throne chair kind of like a kind of like game of well not exactly game of thrones but but the throne throne chair where i had to sit with my crown and my scepter it was a complete surprise they got me i would say it was april fools but it wasn't april 1st so (laughs) but they totally got me that was probably my most embarrassing moment at Fox, Lauren. Yes, Please don't was, bring that up. And it was I'm, in I'm front like, of, I'm, I'm, I'm cringing. In front of the entire company. Entire company. Live streamed to all of our global offices and recorded as well. Um, we're going to find a I way hope to. That never to happen to any air professional again. It was, it was, it was too, um, it was, yeah. And shows the, not just the impact, but the appreciation of a solid analyst relations program. Also, that's box culture. They do do pranks all the time. The way you show love is by just pranks uh, pranks and embarrassment. How many times they made me dance on stage in front of the company? Uh, Lauren, (laughs) um, you want to talk about your drag? No. (laughs) (laughs) On a future episode, we will share uh, my uh, performance in uh, the annual box drag show to raise money for AIDS Fundraiser. Life Cycle. Yes. It's a only cl- for box. <laughs> only for box. But yes, I think it's five times I have uh, gotten dressed up. In drag. and Well, twice in drag, three times in other outfits. Um, yep. And box got me dressed up as a Kim Jong-un. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Okay. That was amazing. So we're going to do some rapid fire questions, Jolie. Okay. We end every episode with these. Um, Oh, my. Okay. What app on your phone are you having the most fun with right now? Oh, I'm kind of boring on my phone. I'm like mostly checking Instagram, I'd say. That counts. I've just started using Insta stories. Ooh. Ooh. I'm not there yet. You have to give me your Insta story advice. I just... I got a lesson from my my daughter, so I'm using Insta Stories now. And I, I do think that's good advice for for all of us marketers and marketing leaders. Find the the teenagers and children in your life and see what they're doing because they are going to be our target audience one day and the buyers. So we need to stay on top of what is new and cutting edge. So find a teenager, figure out what they're doing and how they are using technology. Teenagers are so savvy these days. Gosh, it's insane. So what's your favorite time-saving tool or tip? Oh, probably my alarm clock (laughs) or timer. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe let me explain that a little bit because I do like having... So as marketers, we have so many distractions every day. Yet, when we have some strategic things we're thinking about or content that we are really sort of grappling with, I find having, you know, sort of uninterrupted blocks of time incredibly valuable. And for that, I think I use my I use my timer. So I set my timer when I am uninterrupted, even try to move my physical space to do so. But I kind of need that to get some strategic thinking done. What's your favorite podcast? Ooh, this one. Perfect answer. (laughs) What is your favorite show you're watching right now? Oh, I just finished season two of Good Place. I am obsessed. I'm obsessed with that show. And I know I'm a little late to the game, but it is just, what can I say? I love that it's entertaining but you're learning about morality and ethics at the same time, like legitly. I I love that show. Uh, before the episode with with Matt, Ian and I were going, what the fork? What the fork? What the fork? What the fork? <laughs> <laughs> also, a great way to speak around children. Last question. What are you most excited about for the future of marketing? You know, this is probably the most 
exciting time for marketers than I've ever seen. And I've been in marketing for 20 plus years, just like you, Lauren. I love all the insights that we can get nowadays. Frankly, I think we can get more automation built into insights because it's still too manual. It's still too manual to get those insights, but I that's what gets me super excited. And being able to apply that to what we do day to day is what's really exciting for me. And any parting words of wisdom for our listeners? For market category creation, analyst relations, I literally, I mean, this is the stuff that gets me super excited. So I would say at least give it a shot and maybe just think about what you would do. And just maybe like easy three things you could maybe do this year to get yourself in that direction. And I would guarantee you that it's going to pay off in dividends. Awesome. Thank you so much for for joining us, Jolie. This was an absolute pleasure. And we will have you on one of our next roundtables. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been so much fun. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes, and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.